Hey, welcome to Church Alive. Our mission is to reach, teach, and empower people to impact their generation for Christ. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the message. Beautiful. What a tremendous morning we had. My name's Steve. If you don't know me, I'm one of the I'm the leader of our Freedom Transform groups that we have here at Church Alive. And it is a privilege and an honor I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. I want to take a quick moment, though. I do want to honor Pastor Anthony and Pastor Miriam, who are senior pastors of this church. They're tremendous, tremendous people. Like Peter said, I wouldn't be the man that I am without them and without people who have sown into this house. And it's just so encouraging to see what is happening here. So let's open up in prayer. Let's ask God to be here because, man, I need him. <laughs> to show up. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for today, Father. Thank you, Lord. I pray you, Father God, that in this moment, Lord Jesus, you would take control of everything. That, Lord, your word as it's spoken, Lord God, that if it falls, Lord God, on fertile ground, that there would be nothing that would try to take it away from your people. But that today, people could leave here encouraged. Today, people could leave here, Father God, with something fresh, something real, and something powerful. I pray, Father God, that you speak into the life and into the circumstance of every single person in the sound of my voice, and that, Lord, lives would be transformed today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you, worship team. How's everybody doing today? So we're starting off our new series, Staycation. I love the summer. How many people like the summer? Awesome. Who are you winter people? Who are the people that like, I like hot chocolate and blankets. Okay, for you. Okay, so love you guys. So love summer. Um, summertime, I love being outside, even though, you know, it's very, it's a struggle for me with getting sunburned, like constantly and things like that. Um, all the redheads said, amen, Andrew. So, but in the summertime, you know, I like being outside and everything, but I get bit. I, I've been bit by a lot of different animals in my life. Let me just start that way by saying, but I'm the guy that if you have a barbecue, you should invite me to your barbecue. One, because I like barbecue, but two, I'm like a mosquito magnet. You know how there's like one person at every party that's just covered in them for some reason and everyone else is enjoying it? I'm like the blue light. You know that blue light that hangs off a garage and it buzzes? Zzz. That's me basically to mosquitoes. They run over, they, they tear me up. It's just crazy. Everyone else could just be having a great time and I'm just getting bit to death. And I don't just, I don't just get a little bump. Like I get like welts from these things. So I have to suffer for the for everyone to have a good barbecue. I put myself in that position for you. So you should invite me. I take it willingly for you. There was once a couple of years ago, I had, a, I had a, like a welt on my arm and I showed it to my mom because she's a nurse. And I said, what is this? It doesn't really look like a mosquito bite. And she's like, well, sweetie, you know, in the middle, it, it kind of looks like there's two little spots. It kind of, they look like fang marks. I think you got bit by a spider. I don't do spiders, okay? So I, I don't know what freaked me out more. One, that there was a spider on me and I didn't know it. Or two, that it bit me and I didn't know it. Or three, I didn't know where it was at. Was it still hiding in my bedroom waiting? Was it going to bite me again? I don't do spiders. Uh-uh. No. Uh, once I was walking down Ridge Road in Lyndhurst, I got chewed on by a German shepherd. Yeah, no joke. Attacked me. Got my arm in its mouth. Was chewing on me. I had to poke it in the eye to get it off me. It was not fun. The lady told the cops that I tried to pet it. It was like 12 years old. It looked like it had, it was like all mangy. I'm like, would you pet that thing? <laughs> Come on, bro. I got a poodle at home. I don't play with that. 
But I got bit recently by something, and I've never been bit by this thing before. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to share it with you because it's summertime. I was at a job site for work. Um, I'm an environmental scientist, and so I was evaluating. It was about 40 acres of pretty much virgin forest in central New Jersey. Only a little part of it had ever had a house on it. So I had to walk around and just see if there was any illegal dumping or anything weird going on that would cause concern for the person who was going to buy it. So I got to the job site at about 8 or 8.30 in the morning. Went. I had a beautiful morning. It was like 65 degrees and sunny. I found a, a log and I sat on it for a minute and just beheld God's creation. I couldn't hear a plane. You know that's how you get far away from our area when you can't hear planes anymore. It's kind of like nice. Then I did that inspection. Everything went fine. I went in the afternoon. I went and did another inspection over in uh, Princeton. And then I get home and I go to take a shower. So I'm getting ready to take my shower and I see what looks like a piece of lint on my stomach. So I'm like, oh, no, no biggie. I go to flick it off my stomach. Now, um, the legs that were attached to the piece of lint started going like this. Me, being a strong, assertive 33-year-old father and husband, did what any man would do. I yelled for my dad. <laughs> my parents were over watching my, no joke, my parents were over watching my daughter. So I got home from work. I'm like, dad, I'm nasty. I got to take a shower. Can you just stay an extra 20 minutes and just watch her so I could shower real quick? He's like, yeah. So I'm in the bathroom, I'm like, dad! <laughs> He comes in, I'm like, there's a tick on me. And it, it was in me. It wasn't just like crawling around. It was, in, it was embedded. So like you do, we Googled how to take out a tick. I never had to deal with it. So then he gets a pair of tweezers, grabs the thing, and he's trying to pull it out. Its legs are going like this. And I'm like, just get it out, pull it. You know, like it's just terrible. Finally got it out. I had to call. Uh, a company that my company uses when you have a work injury because now I had a tick bite on the job. They had to monitor me and everything like that. I had to make sure I didn't get a rash and, and all these things, right? Thank God it was only on me for about eight hours. But still, <laughs> eight hours? You mean to tell me that a spider-like thing that sucks blood got on me? I don't know how it got up there but it either crawled up my jeans <laughs> or down my shirt. <laughs> I don't know what's worse. It was all about me. Got on me. I didn't know it. Crawled around on me under my clothing. I didn't know it. Bit me. I didn't know it. And started to slowly suck the life out of me. And I didn't know it. There was eight hours that I had a parasite on me that didn't want anything good for me, but wanted to use me for eight hours. And I had no clue. And it wasn't until me and my dad got together that I was able to get that thing off of me. There's things in this world that want to get on you. Physically speaking, clearly, there's ticks and amongst other nasty things that want to get on you and bite you. But spiritually speaking, there's stuff that wants to get on you as well. There's things that want to get on you, and they're sneaky. They're often subtle, but they want to get underneath your clothing when you don't know it. They want to slowly get to a good, opportune place to get in, and you don't know it. They want to slowly bite you, but you don't quite know it. And then they want to hold on to you, and you don't really realize that they're holding on to you. And then they're going to slowly start just sucking the life out of you. Small little bits at first. You don't really notice that it's happening. But over time you can get some spiritual ticks on you. The goal 
of anything that gets on us that wants to restrict what we're doing for God is to stop the flow of God moving in our life. The goal of any of these things is to stop what God is doing. So I want to take a quick moment. We're going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to look at Moses really quick. Moses is one of the most important people in the Bible. Moses came. He was called by a bush that was on fire. And the bush called him and told him to go and rescue God's people that God had heard the cry of the people in Egypt. Moses went. And in front of Pharaoh and in front of the people of Israel, by the power of God, Moses caused several things, incredible miracles to happen that showed Pharaoh that God in heaven is the only real living God. He led the people after Pharaoh let them go. And then as they were getting chased, because he was obedient and listened to God, he struck the rock and the Red Sea split and the people made their escape from Egypt. Then, now they're in the wilderness. And this, this in Exodus chapter 17, this happened only a couple months after they got into the desert. There's two times in the Old Testament that the people approached Moses because they wanted water. The first time is in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. And all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So what do we see happened here? We see Moses listening to God. The people come to Moses with a complaint. Moses approaches God as an intermediary and says, God, people need water. And the Lord says, okay, go down. I'm going to sit on top of the rock, but I want you to strike it with the staff that you performed a miracle with before, and I'm going to cause water to come out of it for my people. So we see in this account, Moses was obedient. Moses did as the Lord instructed, and because he did that, water flowed out of this rock, which in a desert, a rock splits in half and water comes out of it. That's an incredible miracle. That doesn't just happen. But now, there's a second time that the people approach Moses with an issue that they're thirsty. And it's in Numbers chapter 20. But this time, this is about 39 years into their journey. So the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for about 40 years. First time they complained about water was six months in. There could have been other times in the interim, and we don't know about it. But in this particular occasion, this is 39 years that Moses has been leading the people through the wilderness. And it says in verses 2 through 12, Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? 
And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates? And there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his, stand, his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank, as well as their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Wow. So something happened over 39 years. We see something. God said to Moses, he didn't, he said, take your staff with you. But did he say, strike the rock again? No. This occasion, God said to Moses, speak to the rock and it will yield its water to you. So now Moses leaves out of the presence of the Lord. He's got his staff with him, but he goes before the people of Israel. And in verse 10, he says to them, along with his brother, shall we bring water? We. Shall we bring? There's some people that think that the we there simply means that Moses is saying him and God, that there's a partnership uh, being expressed when he says we. But if you look at the context of what's going on and what happens right after he says this, Moses is already angry. Moses isn't addressing the people as a leader. He's addressing the people as an angry person. And so when he says, shall we bring the water? He's saying, really, do you really need me to do this again? I got, this, I got the rod with me again that I did it last time. Do you really need me to do this again? I'll do it. And then he strikes the rock twice. I don't know about you, but if he struck the rock once, the first time God told him to strike it once, but now my man's striking it twice. And can you imagine the scene? He probably was just like, do you really want me to bring you water? Do you really need me to hit this thing again? I've got the stick. You haven't believed the entire time we've been in the wilderness. You've been coming to me with problems. You've been coming to me and telling me and quarreling with me over food, over this, over meat, over that. And every day God has provided for you. And now you're still going to complain to me about water? I'll do it. I'll take care of it because I got the stick again. Bam, bam. Now notice something. God did not withhold the water from his people even because Moses had been disobedient. God did not withhold the blessing from his people even though Moses fell short in that moment. But over 39 years, what happened? When Moses was originally called by God in the beginning, when he's having that interaction with the bush that's not burning, there's several times that Moses goes back and forth with the Lord. The Lord's telling him, I need you to do this. And Moses is saying, but I can't. No, I need you to do this. All right, if I'm going to go and tell your people that you want me to do this, what's your name? You've got to tell me your name or else they're not going to believe me. And we see these things going back and forth. He even says to the Lord, I, I, I'm kind of just, you know, slow in speech and tongue. And I'm not really qualified to do this, Lord. So God looks at every single thing that Moses complained about and said he wasn't qualified for and said, I'm calling you. You're qualified. And I'm 
going to give you an answer to everything you think is wrong with you. You think you can't talk well? Here's your brother Aaron. He's going to be the mouth for you. You are not going to stop what I'm doing for my people. Step up, deal, and you are going to be successful. This is the man that went before Pharaoh and did all of the miracles. This is the man that walked underneath an ocean and then watched it collapse on the Egyptian army at the command of the Lord. This is a man who for 39 years has watched daily manna come out of heaven and never seen people go hungry. But for 39 years, for a man who never thought he could do it, all of a sudden he was doing it. And for a man who had a temper... All of a sudden, slowly, just like a tick, pride had crept up on Moses. Pride had gotten on him. And you know what the amazing thing is about this? Is that even though he was acting prideful and he was being disobedient, it did not stop the flow of God. Pride prevents you from seeing what God is doing. And it points your focus back to what he has done. Moses could not see what God was doing, the new thing that God was trying to do in him. Moses saw what God did 38 and a half years ago and said, that's good enough. I've still got the stick. Problem solved. It prevents you from seeing where God is going, where God is flowing to. It kills your faith. It leaves you at the point of the old blessing when God has a new one waiting for you. It leaves you trying to recreate a moment rather than living for the next one with God. Pride has you sometimes in the same spot looking for the same answer when God's way over there doing something new. And because we can't see what he's doing, even when he tells us, speak to the rock, don't hit it, we still hit it. And it's because it's what we're used to. It's because it worked before, Lord. Why? But God works out in the deep. God works out where it doesn't make sense so often. There is a flow that God needs every single person to tap into. There is a flow of the Lord that comes from him. There is a river of living water that comes from him that is so crucial that we are tapped into, that we are flowing out of that in everything that we do. It doesn't matter where you're operating. It doesn't matter what you're called to do. You do not need to be on this stage speaking or on the worship team or a greeter or down in the parking lot or doing any of the things that people have no idea people even do at this church because it's so unseen. It doesn't matter what you do. We all have to be plugged into the source and the power and the love and the flow that comes out of God. And that is where blessing is. That is where I can accomplish my call. There were seven festivals that the Lord gave to the Israelites to celebrate throughout their year. The last festival is called the Feast of the Tabernacles. In some translations in your Bible, it might say the Feast of the Booths. It is a celebration that is at, uh, conducted for the fall harvest, and they celebrate this um, typically around October-ish, around that time. And during this festival, they construct tents, or what we would call booths or tabernacles, little tents, and the top of the tents have leaves that are put together in such a way that they can always see the starlight. And what it's meant to do is it's meant to remind them of where they came from. It's meant to remind them of their history. It's meant to remind them that God is their deliverer, that God led them that entire time in the wilderness. So they stay for seven days in these booths or tabernacles. And during these seven days, there's several things that the priests do as well at the temple on each of the days. And one of them has to do with water. And so a priest at the beginning of this festival will go to the pool of Siloam. And that is a pool where Jesus performed the miracle of healing a man that was blind. They take water out of that pool. 
And then on the last day of the feast, on the eighth day, it is what they call the great Hosanna. So the people gather around the temple and there's a whole bunch of pomp and circumstance and the priest comes with the water and he approaches the altar and the priest pours out the water onto the altar. And as he's pouring the water, the people start praising God. They start singing Psalms to the Lord and then they end it by singing Hosanna. It's God save us, God save us. It's a moment where they recognize that because of the provision from God, they had their harvest, but they are saying, Lord, we need you next year. We need your living water to come down. We need the rain to come so that our crops will be bountiful in the following year. It was at this moment that Jesus stood up in John 7, 38. And Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We don't know exactly what time of the day Jesus spoke this. But some people say that during this time in the temple, as the priest was about to pour the water, everyone would be quiet. And then as he poured the water, people would start singing. They would start singing psalms. They would start praying, and it would get louder and louder and louder as the priest poured the water. Can you imagine if it was that quiet moment? Everyone is gathered together to watch the prayer for the living water from the Lord to come to water their crop. And then a man stands up named Jesus, and he says, whoever believes in me, not in what the priests are doing, not in religion, not in a set of rules, but whoever believes in me, the living one, the son of God, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The Greek word there that's translated heart, it can also mean the inner part of a person. It's your essence. It's what flows out of you. Jesus said when we know him, out of that part of us flows rivers of living water. It's no coincidence that he said it on this day, and it is just clear evidence that there is a flow of God that you and I are meant to sit in, and that there's something that's meant to come out of each of us. The heart is spoken about many different times throughout Scripture, but several times it is spoken about as a rock. Ezekiel 11, 19, and 20 says, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my rules, and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. There is a similarity here. Moses came to a rock in a desert, the hardest thing in the desert, the driest place on earth within the desert. And Moses came and in the presence of the Lord, struck something that was hard that should never yield water, and out of it abundantly came water that could feed livestock and millions of people. And then Jesus says, if you know me, your heart that used to be hard, your heart that used to have nothing coming out of it, all of a sudden in my presence, it gets soft. All of a sudden in my presence, out of that thing comes water. When we know the Lord, when we have surrendered the ownership of our eternity to Jesus and trusted him to cover over every one of our failures, what happens is our heart gets soft and just like that rock, it opens. And just like that rock in the wilderness, life flows out of it. Water, living water flows out of it. But this is why we have to be so careful with pride. 
or anger or any of the other things that try to get on us and try to distract us from the Lord is because those things have a mission. And it's the mission of those things to take your heart that's open and slowly start to shut it up. So that thing that was wide open, that had an abundant amount, a river of living water just shooting out of it. Now all of a sudden it's trickling. You ever take a garden hose, crimp it up, and you watch just a little bit of water come down. Then if you slowly open it, you watch the full flow come out. These things seek to constrict the flow of God that's coming out of us. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. There is a spring of life that comes out of us when we know Jesus. And it is meant to flow out of us and into every single other person. It is meant to testify about the goodness of the Lord. It is meant to help us lead effectively. It is meant to help us just simply listen and know what God is telling us to do. When we're prideful, we think we can make all the decisions on our own. And I can tell you from personal experience, when I make my own decisions, they're bad ones. <laughs> when I include the Lord in my decision making, I generally make pretty smart decisions, unless somehow I manage to mess it up. So I want to ask you a question this morning. How has pride affected your heart towards God? How has pride restricted God flowing out of you? What's the answer? If we're left in this place, what is the answer? How do we deal with stuff that wants to make my heart hard again? How do I deal with stuff that doesn't want me to be soft in front of the Lord? Men, the best thing, all the men, listen to me for a moment. The best thing and the strongest thing you do as a man is become submitted to the Lord Jesus. The strongest you will ever be is when you are the softest in his presence. When I think I'm hard and I'm tough and I isolate the Lord out of my heart, I am not operating as a godly man. I have to invite him in. And it is in that context, it is in that softness that life flows out of me. And out of that life, I make godly decisions. Out of that life, I lead my family with integrity. Out of that life, I raise my kids strong. It is out of that life we have to be tapped into it. So the answer is turning our affections, our ambitions, and our future to Jesus. God said in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and that he knows me. That I am a Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Do you need freedom from pride? What else do you need freedom from? Moses had stuff sneaking around on him for his whole life. Moses had an anger streak that was evident before the bush even spoke to him. And yet we see it come out again 39 years later. What do we need to shed? What do we need to look at ourselves and say, hey, there's something there that shouldn't be there. I'm wearing something. That's not part of the clothing that the Lord gave me. That doesn't belong on me. I got to deal with this thing. I got to take it out like that tick. And I don't care if you got to pull it really hard or if it's just not really on you yet. We have to clean ourselves up. The never-ending supply of grace and the insurmountable power of God is readily available for all believers. It is the reason that Jesus came and did his work to set you free. First John 3, 8 says that for this reason, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. 
God has a plan for you. God has a call for each and every single one of you in this room. God has put a personality, gifts, and there are circumstances that you have endured in your life that have cultivated you. And you, God can use as an instrument for his glory. And it doesn't matter where you go or what you do. There is something that the Lord wants to do in you. There's something that he wants to do through you. And it is the flow of God that has to move through you. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. How do we tap into this living water? How do we tap into this living water? Because it sounds nice, right? It sounds like, yes, I want that. But practically speaking, what does it look like? In Isaiah 12, there's a prophecy and it gives us actually ways that we tap into the living water. But all of them have one thing in common. First service, Amanda came in here with my daughter, Agnes, and she's two and a half or a little more than that. And the, and the sound and the lights and everything, she still gets a little shy in, in worship. So I'm holding my daughter in worship and she's curled up and she's just got her head on my shoulder and she's tucked under my chin. And I'm holding her and I'm telling her, sweetie, you're safe. Don't worry, don't be scared. It's not, nothing to be scared about. And I was just standing there and I was just like, Lord, I have to be positionally with you the same exact way my daughter is holding on to me. All of the things that Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 12 reflect this. We have to, uh, we, we tap into this living water when we thank him. When I thank the Lord, I am saying, God, you are so good. I didn't deserve it, but Lord, thank you for everything that I have, big and small. It's not the big things even that I'm so thankful for, Lord. It is every single small and little thing that I've taken for granted and I could not see that you gave me. Thank you, Lord. What am I doing? I'm coming up onto my Father and I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, and I'm close to him. We tap into it when we call upon him, when we say, Lord, I need help. When we say, Lord, I don't want this stuff anymore. Just like my dad, when I had to call him to get that, to help me get that thing off of me. Sometimes we just have to call out to our dad in heaven and say, Dad, I don't want it anymore. Help me shed this junk off of me. The Lord hears the cries of his children. We tap into it when we testify and share about his goodness. That's why we have transformed groups here at Church of Life. That's why we encourage you to be plugged in. That's why we encourage you to serve. It is because when you are in the atmosphere where you hear about what God is doing, it's very hard for you to forget that he does it. It is so easy sometimes when we're waiting on a prayer, when we're waiting on an answer, when we're hoping that a circumstance will change in our family. It is so easy sometimes to feel like either God's not listening or for some reason I haven't prayed it right or for some reason, Lord, why isn't this thing changing? But then when I'm in my connect, when I'm in my transform group and I hear testimonies about God's power, testimonies about God transforming people, I remember that God still does it. And it doesn't matter what I feel, it matters who he is. And when I hear it, it encourages me. And then I am tapped into that living water again that was flowing out of somebody else. We tap into it when we worship him with everything we have. Worship at the beginning of service is not to make you feel good. Worship at the beginning of service isn't to be catchy. It's not to be a concert. It is meant to engage with the living God who has given you life, who allows your heart to beat, who allows you to breathe every second, who allows you to blink. All of the things that we take for granted. It is a time to say, God, you're bigger than anything I struggle with. Lord, I don't care what I came in with, Lord. I'm going to look to you. And it is in that moment that I tap into the flow of what God is doing.
Just like Pastor Anthony said, there's a flow. But maybe you're in here this morning and it feels foreign to you when I say that. Maybe you've been in church for a long time and maybe you've never realized how to tap in to the Lord. Or maybe you've never truly submitted to him and you need to this morning. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is nothing stronger than his name. There is nothing stronger than him. There is nothing that remotely even compares to him. He is bigger. He is stronger, infinitely more wise than anything spiritual or man-made ever in the history of world or ever will be. There is nothing that he cannot do. There is nothing that he cannot break through. And there is nothing that he cannot answer in your life. We all need to be submitted to Jesus. So I'll ask you this morning, can you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? We're going to say a prayer together. But if you're in this place and you haven't said that prayer before, or if you're in this place and you just know deep down, I have not tapped in. I've said things. I've raised my hand maybe before, but Steve, it was never real. I just thought it was a good idea. I pray this morning that God is talking to you now where you are at, that God is speaking to you in this moment, and that the Lord is going to free you from some stuff today. So let's all repeat this prayer together with me. And if you want to make that decision this morning, pray this prayer with all your heart. It's not the words that save you. It is your position of your heart towards Jesus that saves you. Let's say this together. Lord, thank you that you died and that you rose again so that I could live, so that I could be free. God, I know that I've fallen short, but Jesus... I know you paid the price for every single thing. Today I make you Lord. Today I submit myself to you. Today I trust you with my whole eternity. Lord, make me new. Lord, remove the things in my life that are not meant to be there. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you said that prayer this morning with, with everyone's eyes closed and heads still bowed in a, in a moment, I'm just going to count to three. And if that was you in this place, I want to see you slip up your hand. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. I want to celebrate with you for making that incredible decision. One, two, and three. I see those hands in the middle right there. Thank you, Lord. I see that hand, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that people came home to you this morning. Thank you, Father God, that people leave this place empowered and changed. I thank you, Lord, that there is nothing that can stand in your presence, Father God, that is not of you. So I pray, Lord Jesus, as every single person begins to just tap into your presence more, that, Lord, lives would change, that there'd be something fresh, real, and powerful that would come into every single heart and every single soul in this room this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for answering prayers. Thank you, Jesus for helping people see that they are stronger than they think they are. I pray, Father, that we would just continue to hear breakthrough after breakthrough and victory after victory in every single heart and in every single mind and in every single soul. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to hear more empowering messages and learn more about Church Alive, make sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at churchalive.tv. We hope to see you this weekend. Have a great week.